Hey, Oakleaf Baptist Church, I'm excited about what's going on here at Oakleaf. We have big things going on. Um, listen, I know you're thinking, hey, it's Wednesday. Pastor Ball should be doing his psalm study. Well, I'm here to tell you something real exciting. On the 23rd of August, we are going to go back to having live services on campus on Sunday evening. So Pastor Ball is going to continue his study in Psalms on the 23rd that evening. And then after we get done having our study, we're going to get to have communion, which we haven't been able to do in quite a while because of all the COVID stuff that has kind of really messed our schedules up. So on August the 23rd, we have Awana starting that night. We have the live services taking place in the sanctuary on campus, and they'll also be live streamed as well. And then we're going to have communion that evening also. So please make plans for that and adjust your Bible, Bible study schedule. Uh, I'll be doing this lesson in Esther. We'll be finishing Esther out on Wednesday evenings and looking forward to spending that time with you. Before we get into the study tonight, let's go ahead and let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how you bless us. Thank you for Jesus Christ and the cross of Calvary and for saving me. God, thank you for working in our lives and saving us and, and making it possible for us to have a relationship and be reconciled to you. Now, tonight, as we open your word, we pray that you'll speak to our hearts. Help us to learn and grow through this study this evening. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we study every week and we do the study in Esther, let's start in the book of Genesis and let's go to the book of Esther. And if you have your copies of God's word, you can open it up and you can follow us along on our our walk through the Bible to Esther. You ready? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. So we're in the book of Esther. We're going to turn over to chapter six in, in, in the book of Esther, and we're going to start out tonight in verse seven. The Bible says this, and Haman answered the king, for the man whom the king delighteth to honor. Let the royal apparel be brought which the king useth to wear, and the horse that the king rideth upon, and the crown royal which is set upon his head. And let this apparel, the horse, be delivered to the hand of the one of the king's most noble princes, that they may array the man with all whom the king delighteth to honor, and bring him on horseback through the streets of the city, and proclaim before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delighteth to honor." Last week, I'm going to stop there. We're going to keep reading in a minute. But last week, we ended with Haman going to the king's court and waiting for the opportunity to speak to the king. The king that night had not slept well and asked one of his, one of his servants to read the Chronicles to him. And as he's hearing the Chronicles read, as we studied last week, lo and behold, he comes across the story of Mordecai telling him about the, the death threat, the plot that was out to kill Artaxerxes. So... Mordecai thwarted this threat against the king's life and nothing was ever done to reward him. We also studied last week about the king's dream that he had as to why he couldn't sleep from what we see in the Targum. Now, again, we come to the story now. Mordecai comes in, he, he's summoned into the king's courtroom uh, by the king. And before Mordecai, before Haman has the chance to asked the king to be able to kill Mordecai, the king begins to ask Haman, what would you do if you were going to honor somebody? I, I'm, as the king, I want to honor someone. Uh, what would you recommend I do to let people know I'm honoring someone? 
And Haman immediately begins to think, he's going to honor me. The king is going to do something special for me here. Man, I had dinner with him and the queen last night. Man, I'm in like shoe on glue. So he says, listen, uh, king, man, I, I, this, is, this is what I would do. And that's where we pick up in this study tonight as we read these first couple of verses. So Mordecai is not part of the story as of right here. Haman says, this is what I would do. And he's thinking it's going to come to him. Haman thinks this is all about him. Then we look at verse 10. Then the king said to Haman, Make haste and take the apparel and the horse, as thou hast said, and do even so to Mordecai the Jew that sitteth at the king's gate. Let nothing fall, uh, fail of all that thou hast spoken. Then took Haman the apparel and the horse and arrayed Mordecai, and brought him on horseback through the streets of the city and proclaimed before him, Thus shall it be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor. And Mordecai came again to the king's gate, and Haman hastened to the house, mourning and having his head covered. And Haman told Zeresh, his wife, and his friends everything that had befallen him. Then said his wise men and Zeresh, his wife, unto him, If Mordecai be of the seed of the Jews, before whom thou hast begun to fall, thou shalt not prevail against him, but shalt surely fall before him. And then we see in verse 14, And while they were yet talking with him, came the king's chamberlains, and hasted to bring Haman unto the banquet that Esther had prepared. So we're going to study these verses tonight. I'm really excited about this story. Um, man, we have been building and building and building to this right here. As we reach the point where Haman enters the king's court and he's going to ask for the life of Mordecai. He wants to put him on the gallows, as we discussed last week, was to impale him on a stake 50 foot high. So as we look at the story here, we see in verse 7, let's, let's dig a little deeper there. And Haman answered the king for the man whom the king delighteth to honor. Now think, think of this. In Haman's mind, he's thinking, king... You're asking me what I want. This is what I want. This is what I would do, king. And he begins to tell the king what he wants. Verse 8, the Bible says, Let the royal apparel be brought, which is the king's used to wear, and the horse that the king rideth upon, and the crown royal which is upon his head. Now, uh, Plutarch lives uh, in Artaxerxes 5, in his, in his writings, the historical writings of Plutarch, we see that... Um, that Tarbazus was one that was uh, a, a fellow in the kingdom that made a similar request to the king to have some of the garments of the king. And the king granted him the request under the condition that Tarbazus would not wear the garments. He could have them, but he could not wear them. Now, as you continue to read that story and it unfolds, you find out that Tarbazus was, an, we'll say, an intimate friend of the king. And um, he did not adhere or adhere to the king's command that he not wear it. We see here that he actually, if you study the story of the Targums, you'll find out that he actually wore the gown, wore the robe, and he went into the king's court wearing the robe, which rendered it that he should have been put to death. But the king covers for Terbazus and says that he ordered him to do it and saves him from having his life being taken. 
Now, if you look historically, there's another character. Uh, his name is Artabanus, and he, he is um, thought to be the uncle of Xerxes. And he again asked the king for uh, garments, and the king granted him those garments. But Ar Artabanus took it a little bit further. He actually slept in the king's bed. He actually sat on the king's throne. Um, he took a lot of liberty, uh, and in the process of this, he, um, he put his life in jeopardy. Now, again, you may think this is an odd request that Haman's making here about the clothing and the horse and the, the town crier letting everybody know uh, that this is a person the king's honoring. However, I will tell you, according to historical documents in the, in the Targums, we see that this is not that uncommon for people to ask for the king's clothing. We see here that, um, that for someone to wear the king's clothing is a breach of Persian law. That could put them in jeopardy of losing their life. Uh, however, it's not unheard of from a historical standpoint for somebody to ask for the king's clothing. So let's look at verse 9 as we continue to build here. And let this apparel and horse be delivered to the hand of the king's most noble prince, that they may array the man with all with whom the king delighteth to honor, and bring him on horseback through the streets of the city, and proclaim before him, Thus shall it be done to the man that the king delighteth to honor. Now in this, in this grandiose plan of Haman, he lays this out for this person to be set on the king's horse, to be marched through the city. Now understand the king's horse, we see here, that, that uh, this is a very, very noble, noble thing to do. And this isn't just a quick 30-minute trip. This honor that's being, being talked about here is hours long. It, it involves um, guards from the castle with open swords, and it involves other uh, viziers and other people that work within the castle gate, and it involves uh, town criers going out and making this proclamation so everybody can hear in the marketplace and in the busy streets, particularly around the palace. Um, this is not a little thing. This is a big parade for one person, the person the king wants to honor. And Haman thinks it's him. As we see here, we see uh, there was a major reversal in Haman's plan. If you go here and you look in verse 10, the Bible says, Then the king said to Haman, Make haste. That means go right away. Do it right now. Take the apparel and the horse, as thou hast said, and do even so to Mordecai the Jew that sitteth at the king's gate, and let nothing fail of all that thou hast spoken. I want to look at a few things here. First of all, you look in this passage and he first says, then the king said to Haman, make haste, do it right now. There's no time for delay. Haman went in to ask for Mordecai's life. The king didn't give him a chance. The king immediately asks him how to honor somebody. Haman thinks, man, this is going to be greater than even getting Mordecai's life. And then the king says, I want you to go do to Mordecai what you just told me would be honorable to a man. Listen, the king did not want to be thought to be cheap in in honoring somebody. It had to be something grand. And this was it. We see here that Mordecai is referenced to in verse 10. It says, Mordecai the Jew. Now, as the king was listening to the Chronicles being read to him that night, 
um, it's very possible and probable that they recorded in those chronicles that Mordecai was Jew and it was fresh in the king's mind. And that's why we see it recorded in the scripture that the king identifies Mordecai as a Jew in the passage. The word of God doesn't need to do that for our sake because we already know he's a Jew. So this is something that we can see here as a, a historical context to the king telling Haman what needs to be done here, identifying Mordecai as the Jew. And then we see here that he's sitting at the king's gate. The king, listen, I love this. One, this is one of the facts I love about this. The king knew right where Mordecai would be. He knew right where he would be. This shows you to the character. This shows you the character of Mordecai, a dependable advisor who was always where he belonged. And he wasn't about building himself or lifting himself up. And now the king's going to have a chance to honor him. We see here in verse 10, to take the apparel of Mordecai the Jew, and we see here that uh, the Targumus here, if, if we remember the lesson from last week, reminds us that the king had the dream. You remember last week we talked about the dream that the king had, according to the, the Targumus and historical documents. And in that dream, the, he's told that Haman wants to kill him. So I want you to consider the mind of the king uh, as we look at the historical documents. He is, he is right here making Mordecai or Haman. Haman wanted to kill the king. Um, he's making Haman uh, honor Mordecai in this. If, if you think about the king's mindset from a historical standpoint, standpoint, it makes sense that he would do this and not give Haman a chance to even speak in the court. Because according to the dream, Haman was going to come and request all this stuff. And here he begins to request it. So think about, I mean, when you think about the irony of what we see in the historical documents and what we see in the scriptures, it, it really adds to uh, a lot of this story to help us have a, an even greater understanding of the king's mindset and what was going on here. And Haman had no clue that the king had been tipped off in a dream about any of this. Now we see the, the underlying factor in verse 10. When you see what happens and the tables get turned on Haman, we see another example of the providence of God, the divine will and providence of God working out. Listen, the, the truth is there is neither counsel nor wisdom against the Lord. You can't use wisdom against God. You can't get with your teammates and counsel with one another and figure out a way to get around God. You can't get around God. You can't win against God. God is God. He is the greatest. And His plan, His effort, His work is going to be seen through because it's God. He is not a liar. What He says is going to happen is going to happen. What He wants to have take place, it will take place. We as believers need to be careful about getting scared and living in fear about things that may happen when we have the promise of God's word to know what will happen in the future. As we look here, we see verse 11 says, Then took Haman the apparel and the horse and arrayed Mordecai and brought him on horseback through the city streets and proclaimed before him, Thus shall it be done unto the man to whom the king delighteth to honor. Listen, in the providence of God, Mordecai's enemy, Haman, had to lead him through the streets of the city. 
Now it talks about the streets of the city. That's, that's the area surrounding the castle that has a lot of people. The King's Gate. I mean, this was hours long of a, an event and he's having to deal with all this. As we look in the scriptures here, we see that God's, again, the providence of God is carried out. And I want you to think about this. In the providence of God, King Saul called David righteous. In the providence of God, Pilate declared Jesus innocent. I want you to think about even, even Judas, when he gives the silver back that he betrayed Christ for, declares his innocence, Jesus' innocence. Listen, God can use whatever and whoever He wants. They do not have to be a follower of Him to be used of God. The Bible tells us that, that the evil people were made for the evil day. They were made for a purpose. When we look in the Scriptures and we see God is sovereign, and the providence of God for believers and for His followers is something that His hand works in through all of human history. As we look in this passage of Scripture, we see yet again the providence of God intervenes in humanity. We see here that verse 11 tells us that, that Haman now has, to, has dressed Mordecai up, put him on the horse, the horse... As we see here in the reading that there's a crown on the horse's head, some type of gold uh, emblem that would identify that horse as the king royal's horse. The, the clothing, the purple and white clothing, as we study and we see historically what the king would have worn, Mordecai is sitting on the horse wearing, and here is the one, Haman, who hated Mordecai, having to walk him through the town with that horse, with the town criers and Mordecai being praised and Haman having to point to Mordecai as the one that the king is honoring and lifting up as Haman walks with the horse beside him. Listen, I could not imagine the emotional devastation in Haman's life because he was having to be put in this position. I could not imagine how angry he was. How emo the emotions inside of him must have been welled up. I have a question. I, I know for me, I can tell you of times in my life where pride got the best of me and when things didn't work out the way I thought they would in a prideful sense, I was angry and I was mad. I got mad at God. I got I got I get mad at people because they didn't do what I expected everybody to do. And I was left to sit there in my pity and in my anger and in my frustration and I can't imagine. I can't imagine. Haman must have just been an emotional and angry wreck. So I want you to think about this. in your life. I want you to think about those emotions that, that take over when you don't get what you want. I think about those emotions that, that well up in my life when I don't get what I want. They're not pleasing to God. 
And I can't help but think that anybody watching this video, if you're honest with yourself, you know what I'm talking about and you know those emotions aren't pleasing to God. When, when you don't get what you want, when I don't get what I want, our flesh begins to act out many times. And it's so hard to stay spiritually focused when we've let pride and we've let our flesh become an idol to us. And we put it before God. Listen, this is the boat Haman was in. Couldn't imagine his emotions and how he felt. Verse 12 says this, And Mordecai came again to the king's gate, but Haman hasted to his house, mourning and having his head covered. We see here that these two men go two different directions when this event's over. After the hours of being paraded through the city and honored by the king and wearing the king's clothes, being on the king's horse, all of this taking place, I can't help but think, when you read this verse, Haman goes back to his house with his head covered in mourning. It's as if he... It's as if he lost someone dear to him, they had died. He was ashamed. He covers his head as a sign historically and culturally. He, he, he didn't want to be seen, and, and, and he's ashamed, and, and he, he's going back to his house. And he said, well, Bill, why is he ashamed of his anger towards Mordecai? Is it what? I want you to consider this. You know as well as I do, people gossip, people talk. I'm guilty, you're guilty. Every one of us has been guilty of gossiping or talking and sharing information that maybe should not have been shared. Can you imagine the people of this town knowing that Mordecai and Haman were not the best of friends? There were people in the king's gate when Mordecai refused to, to move out of the way for Haman. There were people in the king's gate when he refused to die uh, or refused to get down and bow and treat Haman like, like deity. Um, people talk and people, people knew there was no love in their relationship. So now he's been embarrassed. He has just been mortified by having to parade his enemy through the city, proclaiming the king is honoring him. He's up on this horse and greater than me. Listen, he goes to his house, but I want you to look and see the other side of the story. Haman goes to his house, but Mordecai goes to the king's gate. Mordecai goes right back to where the king knew he'd be at. He knew where his place was, and he went back to that place where he knew he belonged to do what he was there to do to counsel and to keep an eye on Esther and to be there for the king should he call. As we look in this passage, we see in verse 13, And Haman told Zeresh his wife and all of his friends everything that had befallen him. Then said his wise men and Zeresh's wife unto him, If Mordecai be of the seed of the Jews before whom thou hast begun to fall, thou shalt not prevail against him, but shalt surely fall before him before whom thou hast begun to fall. Listen, as we look at this passage of Scripture, we see he goes home to his wife, his friends, and some wise men. Now, these wise men, from a historical standpoint, from the Targum, you see uh, from commentaries and theologians, they were like magicians, and they would, they would soothsayers. They would uh, do things to try to foretell the future. 
Um, they would have been very, you know, very knowledgeable about historical documents and, and prophecies that may have been given. So as we see this verse 13 unfold, we see that his friends and Zeresh's wife, they tell him, if Mordecai be of the seed of the Jews, they already know Mordecai is a Jew. That's why Haman went before the king and wanted all the Jews killed. That's why. And they say here, if Mordecai be of the Jews, before whom thou hast begun to fall, his wife, his friends, and the wise men all recognize that he has already begun to fall. He's already began the process of being destroyed by Mordecai. As we look here, we see it says, Thou shalt not prevail against him. Now, when you look in Scripture and you look at the historical documents and commentaries, you'll find out that these, um, these wise men most likely were casting lots and doing ceremonies of some type that they would be able to discern and try to figure out what the future would hold for Mordecai in the situation. And in the process of them casting lots and doing these rituals, they come back to Mordecai and they tell him, verse 13, Thou shalt not prevail against him. You're not going to win, Haman. Mordecai is going to beat you. You've already started the fall and, and this is the beginning of the end. You're done. As if his day hadn't went bad enough, now his wife and his friends and these wise men that he's relied on for counsel are telling him, this is just the beginning of the end for you, man. Buckle up, buttercup. It's coming. We see here verse 13. They said, but shall surely fall before him. Now, the Septuagint adds to this, for the living God is with him. I think that's interesting that they recognize that there is a living God, but they chose not to follow him. Folks, when we look at this passage of Scripture and we see all that's come upon Haman because of his pride and his lust, his hate, we see here that he's being set below Mordecai as he guides him through the city on this horse. And what his friends and the wise men tell him is, listen, Mordecai has been lifted up higher than you, Haman, and he may use his power now to crush you. I think there's another historical fact that we can't ignore in this. Earlier in our study, several weeks ago, I mentioned that Haman was a descendant of King Agag. And some of you may say, Agag, that name sounds familiar. Yeah. Agag was the king that King Saul was told to utterly destroy him and his descendants and his kingdom. Kill everything, the sheep, the oxen, the women, the children, everything was to be destroyed. But somehow an Agagite escaped because God was not obeyed. And a descendant of that Agagite is Haman. As we studied earlier in our lesson, we found out that Mordecai is a descendant of King Saul. Now, I think it's very interesting that we see this biblical truth being carried out as the story unfolds. Yet again, God's Word is true, and it will be carried out 
He said it would happen, it will happen. As we see here, we, we recognize that Agag and Saul had this historical interaction where it did not get completed, but we see the opportunity in history now for it to be done. Now, let's look at verse 14. All of this taking place. Verse 14 is just a great capstone for this study tonight. And while they were yet talking with him, came the king's chamberlains and hastened to bring Haman unto the banquet that King Esther had prepared. So what happens is, in the process of a banquet taking place, and I have to hurry for time's sake here, they would send, they would send servants throughout the day to let the person know how the progress was going with the preparation for the banquet. So they knew this banquet was coming. They had a, a general time frame to know when to be expected to be at the banquet. And we see that this aligns with the conversation that's taking place here between Haman and his wife, friends, and the wise men. He was just told that he is going to fall to Mordecai. He's just went through the city all day proclaiming how Mordecai is the one that the king is honoring, and he has been embarrassed. He is emotionally a wreck. He's finding out that, that, that he is going to fall to Mordecai for sure from his wise men that have told him this. And no sooner that gets done, knock on the door. Hey, it's time for that banquet with Queen Esther and the king. Do you think he was in any shape, emotionally or mentally, to go to a banquet and enjoy a meal with the king and the queen? I'd say not. But the chamberlains are there and he has to go. Here, that morning, I want you to consider. That morning, Haman got up and thought that he had his day all laid out. He was going to go to the king, ask for the life of Mordecai. He was going to put Mordecai on the gallows. By the time they ate dinner that night, Mordecai would be dead. He would be able to be at this banquet with Esther and the king, and he'd be happy and joyous with not a care in the world. When he got up that morning, that was his plan. Look at where he's at now. How many times have we gotten up in the morning with our plan for the day and the wheels came off and stuff just happened? And when we laid our head on our pillow that night or when we went to eat dinner that night, we looked back on our day and thought, this is not at all how I expected this day to go. Why? Why did I have to have this day? Maybe you lost a loved one that day. Maybe a major accident that day, maybe a loss of a job that day, maybe the stock market crashed and you lost an untold amount of money, maybe a marriage broke up, maybe the loss of a, of a, of a dear loved one, a child or, or a sibling or a parent. Or, and, and that morning you had no plan in your life. It was totally not even on your radar that this could happen. And you're sitting down for dinner that night and thinking, oh dear God, my day did not go anything like I expected it to go or had planned. Well, I tell you, believer, I encourage you that when you have days like that, I know it's hard, but we have got to remember that God is sovereign and the providence of God allows things to come into our life when we don't expect it, but they're all for God's purpose and God's glory. I want you to consider that as you move throughout your day. As you work through situations in your life that may be difficult, look for God and look for the opportunity to tell others about Jesus Christ in the process. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you and we just praise you and we just want to, to, to lift up our hearts and we want to just thank you. Thank you for the story of Esther that reassures in our hearts and minds that you are in control.
No matter what the threat, we have no need to live in fear because you're in control. And nothing's going to happen without your ability to approve. God, I pray that you'll just help us to take heart about what is happening in the story of Esther as we study it. Help us to uh, learn from it. Help us not to just gloss over it, but help us to apply it to our lives as we work. God, as I work on my pride, as I work on my plans, as I, as Father, as, as we go through these things, help us to embrace God's work. Help us to embrace God's plan and not to get upset and frustrated and angry, but to know that you are in control and we just need to be part of your plan with a gracious and joyful heart. And I know that's hard, God. I've failed miserably at it. But God, I pray that you'll help me and strengthen me. Strengthen those that are watching that may be dealing with a very difficult circumstance in their life right now that they did not foresee, but they're having to deal with. I pray that you would just encourage them and lift them up to know that you're in control. And we pray all this in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said, Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us. I hope you have a great week.